0: It's Friday, so you know what that means. It's time for another mailbag. And today, I'll explain why I think Jadarian Price will have a breakout game on Saturday and why there's not a game left on the schedule that Notre Dame isn't capable of winning. That's next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Friday, September 15th, so happy Friday to you. And I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And thanks for making Locked On Irish your first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Since it's Friday, we have our weekly mailbag episode on the books today. Thanks to everyone who sent in your questions this week. You guys always have some really good ones, and this week was no different. If you want to be featured on next week's mailbag before Ohio State, or any future mailbag for that matter, you could drop your questions in the YouTube comments or send them to at LockedOnIrish on Twitter or slide in the Instagram DMs at LockedOnIrishPod. Okay, let's get to our first question. This one comes from at Nathan underscore Coleman 45. Which player that is not a starter do you think will have a breakout game this week against Central Michigan? For a breakout game, I would say maybe Jadarian Price or J- Jeremiah Love. One of the two. I'm kind of cheating here. I think it's going to be Jadarian Price because I just loved the way he was running the ball against NC State. And Notre Dame kind of went to him at a, at a point in the game when the game was still in jeopardy during the first half. And Notre Dame's offense really did not have much going at that point in time. But then he came in, he grinded out some uh, some good runs there. His stats weren't going to blow you away or anything, but I thought that he sort of changed the course of Notre Dame's running game. It obviously did help that they got a little bit more of a push on the offensive line. NC State wasn't blitzing like seven or eight dudes like they had been up to that point. But I loved the way he was running it. I could also see a scenario where Notre Dame is still trying to limit his carries given the fact that he's still recovering from that Achilles injury that he suffered last year but it does seem like they're willing to give him the ball a little bit earlier in the game and maybe more often uh, than maybe we had thought early on in the season or even in fall camp for that matter but he already has two touchdowns this year so he's pretty confident carrying the ball and then with Jeremiah Love he's a little bit lower on the depth chart but he does kind of seem like he's due to break one that touchdown against Tennessee State I know it was against Tennessee State, but still, that was a really good run. He looks really fast, and assuming this game is out of hand in the second half, we could see Jeremiah Love getting a lot more carries I don't know if Notre Dame is going to want to give the ball to Audrey Esme a lot. Certainly they will in the first half when the game is still in balance, and still he needs to get some reps. But I think in the second half they're going to try to rest him as much as possible, given the fact that Ohio State is next week, and he's probably going to be toting the rock a lot in that game. So they're going to have to rest him as much as they can in the game. It's kind of like the LeBron strategy where he somehow finds a way to rest during the middle of the game when he's basically walking up and down the court and he saves his energy for when he needs to use it later in the game. Um, Another guy I think could, uh, I wouldn't say it's like a breakout, but I could see him getting his first touchdown is Rico Flores. He's not a starter. If I had said Tobias Merriweather would get his first touch on, that wouldn't really make sense of the question because Tobias does start, although he hasn't really had a bunch of catches this year up to this point. But I did say in my uh, Central Michigan preview episode that I think he's going to get on the board this Saturday, and I could see Rico Flores getting on the board as well. Notre Dame went to him with the first catch of the game against Tennessee State, and I thought that was interesting. Um, They have a lot of confidence in him, and I could see them trying to get those young guys more opportunities in this game to get them ready if their number is called upon against Ohio State. Defensively, Drake Bowen is probably going to be making his defensive debut. Some people think he's going to start in place of J.D. Bertrand, who Marcus Freeman announced on Thursday would not be playing this Saturday while he's in concussion protocol. So I think Jack Heiser is going to move to Mike. He's going to be getting a lot more of the reps than Drake Bowen. But Drake Bowen is still going to get on the field, and he's still going to have a shot. On defense, maybe even in the first half. So if he gets in there, makes a few plays, I would consider that a breakout game. Really excited to see him on the field on Saturday because he was sort of the leader of that 2023 recruiting class and was all in on everything Notre Dame had to offer. So excited to see him in his home debut and actually out on the field since he missed that Tennessee State game. Last potential option, I think, for me is Christian Gray. He played 23 snaps against NC State compared to just nine against Tennessee State. So if he's on the field a little bit more, especially in the second half, he gets a pick. Uh, I guess that would be considered his breakout game. So those are a few names who I think could have a good shot at breaking out against Central Michigan. Now let's move on to our next one, which comes from at Brady Cassini. Looking at outcomes of teams on the schedule, is there a team Notre Dame can't beat? I would say that Notre Dame can beat every team on the schedule, but that doesn't mean that they will. Going undefeated is really, really hard, even if you're better than the teams that you're playing, and Notre Dame's gauntlet that they have coming up here starting next week going uh, hosting Ohio State at home, then going to Duke after that, and then at Louisville, and then playing at home against USC is a really, really tough stretch, like it wouldn't shock me if Notre Dame was able to knock off Ohio State next week in a huge win that takes pretty much everything uh, from the entire team to get it done. And when the fan base is riding that incredible high, and then the team has to turn around and get ready to play a good Duke team, as we all saw in week one when they beat Clemson at home, having to bounce back from a potentially program-changing win against Ohio State, and then having to prepare for a Duke team who's going to be very much ready to play Notre Dame. That's just going to be really tough. And if they get by that, then they have USC two weeks later, and that would be their eighth straight game of the season without a bye. So that's going to be really tough. But I think Notre Dame is capable, and they will likely be favored to beat pretty much every team left on the schedule. I don't think they'll be favored to beat Ohio State. I don't think they'll be favored to beat USC. And even though Clemson did lose to Duke, I, I don't know. I don't want to get ahead of myself there because that game is still so far away. Maybe Clemson is favored. Maybe it's a pick 'em. Who knows? But I will say that as we sort of reevaluate Notre Dame's schedule here at this point in the season, I think USC is the toughest opponent left on Notre Dame's schedule. Part of it is because of the scheduling complications that I just mentioned. Notre Dame will be playing them in their eighth straight game. When I look at USC, that offense is going to put up points on anyone. Literally anyone. Caleb Williams, you already know about him. He's unbelievable. He's a magician at quarterback, and he's one of the best quarterbacks I have ever seen in the college game. I think he's definitely the best prospect since Trevor Lawrence, and I thought Trevor Lawrence was, like, head and shoulders above a lot of other players that I had watched during my life. I think he's right at that level, um, and what he can do with his legs is ridiculous, not to mention the fact that Caleb Williams has Lincoln Riley, probably the best offensive mind in all of college football and arguably one of the best offensive minds in all of football, calling the plays for him. And he has a loaded wide receiver, core that is probably – it doesn't have the top-end talent that Ohio State has, but it's probably the deepest room in college football. They they legitimately go eight or nine deep. And then defensively, that's been the biggest problem for USC, or really Lincoln Riley, since he's become a head coach. I'm not going to tell you that they're a stout, shut-down defense anymore, but I've watched them a lot this year, and they're better. They're certainly better than they were last year, and uh, I think it's going to be a really, really tough test. When I look at the Ohio State game compared to USC – Ohio State is obviously going to be a massive, massive challenge for Notre Dame, but it's a game where Notre Dame has the better quarterback and they're at home. So for that reason, I feel a little bit more confident that Notre Dame could beat Ohio State than USC, even though both of those games are going to be an enormous challenge for the Fighting Irish. So I think before the season, I said Notre Dame would go 11-1 with the loss to Clemson. I don't want to go back on that right now. Uh, I know how Clemson looked against Duke, but I do think that at this point, USC is actually going to be the toughest game left. But still, if Notre Dame does go undefeated, it would take a lot. It would be an incredible accomplishment, more so than 2012, 2018, and 2020 if Notre Dame does get this done. Um, But it's still going to be really, really hard. And we're just three games in. We have a lot more football to be played and a lot more is going to happen throughout the course of this season. But we've got a lot more questions to get to, and that's all coming up right after this. These days, every new potential can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. I used LinkedIn Jobs a couple years ago, and they made it easier to contact the hiring manager, learn more about the role, and eventually, I got the job. LinkedIn also makes it incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools Like screening questions, make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. We all know hiring people can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be invaluable to your business, and LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier than ever. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Before we get back to the questions, I want to remind you to please like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube. Or if you're listening to the podcast, please take a moment to rate the show 5 stars, leave a review, and of course, subscribe. All right, let's get back to the questions. This one comes from at Guru 55 Do you think there's a chance this game turns into Ball State 2.0? I never want to say there's no chance because if I do that, then Notre Dame is going to be going down to the wire against Central Michigan on Saturday just like they were against Ball State back in 2018 but I just really don't see that happening. And a massive reason why is because of the quarterback, Sam Harmon. I'm looking at the box score right now from that Notre Dame ball state game. And good God, it was gross. Wimbush, uh, went 17 of 31 for 297 yards, which is kind of crazy. When Notre Dame did, uh, convert on some passes in that game they did get some chunk plays but he also threw no touchdowns and three interceptions but that's not even really the reason why they were struggling so bad the real reason is because they only had 117 rushing yards on 41 attempts ball state was selling out to stop the run and basically daring Brandon Wimbush to throw the ball and like I said when they did complete passes they did rattle off some chunk plays but Wimbush threw three picks And that game was just awful. It was not fun, not to mention the fact, and Tim O'Malley pointed this out on Irish Illustrated this week, that Notre Dame had like nine backups in on the kickoff coverage unit, so they were playing all their backups. Notre Dame was taking that game really lightly, and I think it's a little bit different scenario because Notre Dame in this game, they're gearing up. They're ramping up to play Ohio State, where in 2018 they spent that entire offseason gearing up to play Michigan. They beat them in the season opener. So they had sort of accomplished their goal. And then they had to play another game after that, that they frankly overlooked. And Julian Love said as much in the week, uh, in the week after during a press conference, he said that they overlooked um, ball state. So, it would be somewhat more similar if Notre Dame had just beaten Ohio State and then they had to play Central Michigan, but this is a little bit different because they have to uh, play Ohio State next week and they're still trying to gear up to play uh, in that game. So I don't really think that there's going to be a chance. Maybe the worst-case scenario is that it's still somewhat uh, in jeopardy at the end of the first half, but again, I think with Sam Hartman and this team, the way that they're clicking right now, I don't think you got to worry about that. Okay, next one. At Drew Brennan 77 asks, in a situation where Notre Dame comes out of the huddle with both Alt and Fisher together on the same side, what should a defense's normal reaction be? Clearly, NC State missed that in the game, and they paid with SMA's touchdown. I wonder if there's something that Notre Dame goes to in the future, and if defenses adjust, maybe they use a misdirection play to take advantage of the other side of the line. Thoughts? Okay, good question, Drew. Always brings the great questions to the mailbag. Um, so he's obviously referring to when uh, coming out of that rain delay, Notre Dame brought Joe all over and he's playing to the right side of Blake Fisher and they had a very unbalanced line with two tackles playing on the right side. So now that it's on film, every team that Notre Dame plays for the rest of the season is going to see that and have a plan for it. So you're not going to really catch anyone by surprise unless Notre Dame is in like they huddle up and they break the huddle and they go into that unbalanced line and they try to snap the ball right away. That's one way you could sort of catch the defense off guard because. When you get into that formation, it's on the Mike linebacker on the defense to recognize it and call it out. And not just in this situation, but really, whenever you line up in an unbalanced formation, the Mike linebacker has the responsibility to call it out. And then what you do is you basically pivot the center to the guard, to the unbalanced line, and then the defense has to recenter uh, their formation around that. So that would, that's what the first thing you have to do. Now, it's obviously a lot different when you have two tackles and two elite blockers, uh, even though Blake Fisher hasn't really been playing at an elite level this season. Either way, it does cause some problems for the defense. So if I were the defense there, I would see that. I would shift the whole defense over. I'd shift the line so that we're stacking that unbalanced side and i probably blitz pretty heavily on the first play. Now, it's also on the linebackers to recognize if Notre Dame does try to go misdirection, if they try to bring some pulling guards to the opposite side where there's less blockers, then it's on the linebackers to recognize that and go with pull. So if Notre Dame were to counter that, they could... Pull, do that thing where like you pull and then you run to the opposite side. So you take advantage of the linebackers getting caught looking, following the pulling guards, and then you actually run to the side that's unbalanced, even though you're taking two guards away from it. Uh, Chip Long used to do this every once in a while at Notre Dame, and then Tommy Reese would kind of incorporate it into the offense Uh, when he was the offensive coordinator. It's also really effective when you have a running quarterback, because then you can kind of fake the read option and then go to the other way of the pool. So that's how I would probably go about it if I was Notre Dame and I was trying to throw some new wrinkles. But um, I don't know how often they're going to go to this now. Maybe they try it on like some third and short situations and just kind of go big on big. But I don't know. We, we'll see, because Notre Dame did not really convert uh, on those third and short situations against NC State when they were running the ball. It was actually one of the things that I was pretty frustrated by and why I have said I have concerns with how the offensive line has played up to this point. Again, that can all get strained out uh, in the games to come, and I expect a get-right game for the Notre Dame offensive line this weekend. All right. Next one comes from at Evan Slatt, and it's a two-part question. First one, I know you're supposed to take each game week to week, but what concepts do you expect Notre Dame to utilize against Central Michigan to prep for Ohio State? I'll answer this one first before I get to the second question. So I don't think it's going to be about introducing new concepts, because if you bring in a new concept, then you put it on film and then you give Ohio State the chance to prepare for it. I think it's going to be more about getting younger guys or maybe guys who haven't gotten that much experience or had that many plays called to them opportunities in different spots, see what works, sort of get the... Butterflies out of the system where if you're on a third down and it's third and 10 and you call play to Rico Flores and then you convert it just that play and having that become successful will give Rico some more confidence so that against Ohio State, if his number is called, he'll be ready to go. I would be hesitant to bring in a bunch of new exotic looks against Central Michigan unless you're doing it literally to just throw off the set. I mean, some some coaches do that. They'll bring in, they'll throw in these exotic plays, and then Ohio State has to spend some of their prep time preparing for that. And then in reality, you have no intention of ever using that. It's sort of uh, it's something that coaches do um, at really all levels of football. And if if you're going up against a team where like you're playing a team like Central Michigan, and you have a giant game the following week, there's all kinds of different. Uh, things that coaches can do to try to get an edge. It's really crazy, but that's kind of what you have to do, especially when you're going up against a team like Ohio State who has a really, really good coaching staff. I don't care what you think of Ryan Day. You look at the assistants there, Brian Hartline, Tony Alford, for example. They're loaded. All right, so you got to take uh, any opportunity you can get to try to throw them off, and maybe that's something that they do. But, I again, I think it's just going to have more to do with getting younger guys some opportunities or even some guys, some starters like Tobias Merriweather, maybe calling some more plays to him, get him going before the Ohio State game. I think that is what the coaches are going to be more focused on, not so much as uh, the scheme as it is about the players because, in the end, that's what's going to decide the game against Ohio State. All right, Evan Slott, second question. Why don't more teams run the mesh, and do you expect Notre Dame to ever pull anything from Sam Hartman's offense at Wake Forest? I assume he means the slow mesh, which is the uh, offense that Wake Forest runs, where basically, if you're unfamiliar, like it's like a RPO read option, but instead of just making a really quick decision, basically the point of the snap, the quarterback really draws out that mesh point between the quarterback and the running back. So he really carries out the handoff. And he lets the defense come to him, basically, before he makes a decision. Now it works because you can, if you play it right, then you can take advantage of what the defense is giving you. But it also, it can make the offense become a little bit one-dimensional because it's really hard to run the ball when you're running the slow mesh, um, because the offensive line can't just come out. And, and attack the defense and push them off the line. So they they have to play it like it's a pass every single play, and it's hard to get a consistent push when you're doing that. When your first step is straight up or going backwards, it's hard to really you know impose your will on the defensive line and try to get a consistent running game going. So that's one thing, and a big reason why Wake Forest runs the slow mesh is because traditionally they have not had very good offensive lines. So this is a way to alleviate some of that and – teams, like opposing defenses, they would just blitz the hell out of Wake Forest all the time. And then in that situation, the quarterback has to make these reads late with all kinds of defenders in his face. On one hand, it makes the job difficult for the quarterback. On another, I think that's why Sam Hartman has been so effective against the Blitz this year because he's so used to throwing with a defender in his face. Chris Fink actually mentioned that on the show yesterday when I asked him about what do you think is the most impressive part of Sam Hartman's game? He said it's his ability to throw under duress. So, I, I don't really expect Notre Dame to ever incorporate like the slow mesh. Maybe they try to draw out a couple a little bit longer than normal. But when you have an offensive line that's as good as Notre Dame has right now, and again, I know I've been critical about them. But I still think they're good. They just haven't been as elite as we thought they would be this season. You want to just get them... Pushing dudes off the line of scrimmage and dominating uh, at the point of attack. And you don't really do that by doing the slow mesh. And I think as more time goes by, this interim offensive line will get better and better as the year goes on. And then hopefully, by the time that like USC comes to town, Notre Dame's offensive line is operating like they were against Clemson last season. And I don't think when you run the slow mesh, you're kind of doing that offensive line a disservice because you're sort of holding them back a little bit and you're not allowing them uh, to be as aggressive as they can be. And that could lead to just a really powerful run game. So maybe they'll bring in some things again, this could be like tweaks against Ohio state or something like that. But overall, I don't think that the slow mesh system really caters to what Notre Dame has on its offense. Okay, we've got a couple more questions left, and uh, coming up next, I'll reminisce a little bit on some of my favorite Notre Dame football memories. College football season is here, and this season, the Lockdown Podcast Network is kicking up our coverage with a new show called College Football Kickoff Live, which airs every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Lockdown College YouTube channel. College Football Kickoff Live will cover everything going on in the sport and go in-depth like only Lockdown can, including insight and analysis from our stable of college hosts covering their team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fandle. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from Fandle, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all the customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join Fandle. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. Visit Fandle.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. Fandle, an official partner of the NFL. Okay, we've got a couple more questions to get to here, and these ones are fun. I always love ending the mailbag episode with a couple fun questions, and uh, that way we end the show on a high note and we sort of go in the weekend happy. Um, this first one, ND in CA415 asks, if Notre Dame wins the national championship and Warner Brothers decided to make a movie about the season, which actor should play Marcus Freeman and Sam Harmon? It is not surprising that the Notre Dame fan in California with the, uh, I think that's the the Valley area code there is asking questions about a movie in Warner brothers, but I do enjoy this question. Is it too obvious to say Marcus or excuse me, Michael B. Jordan for Marcus Freeman. Michael B. Jordan is like one of the biggest actors in all of Hollywood right now. And I think he's 36 years old, which is around the same age as Marcus Freeman. So if we're doing this movie, we got to do it big, let's get the biggest actors possible. So Michael B. Jordan would be good. Um, Maybe Anthony Mackey, he could potentially work. He was in We Are Marshall, so it's, he's done a football movie before. Um, I don't think he necessarily looks like Marcus Freeman, but I'm just trying to think big-name actors here because, again, we're shooting for the stars with this hypothetical movie. Um, and then Kendrick Sampson, I think he probably looks a little bit more like Marcus Freeman, so those are a couple. I think those would work. Um, we're only going for the big names with Marcus here. Okay, now let's think about Sam Harmon. It wouldn't work, but Tom Hardy as the Notre Dame quarterback would be kind of hilarious. Uh, he doesn't really look like Sam Hartman at all. He's way too short, but he's one of my favorite actors ever, and I just think seeing Tom Hardy suit up in a Notre Dame uniform would be uh, it'd be great. It'd be great theater for me. More realistically, I mean, we got to get one of the most handsome actors for Hartman, and really Marcus Freeman as well. And I think Michael B. Jordan uh, would suffice there. Bradley Cooper, he's a football guy. He's a big Eagles fan. I could see him when he grows out the beard. He would have to really let it go. I think he could get into football shape pretty quickly. Um, Side note: Did that? If you've seen American Sniper, like how big Bradley Cooper got for that movie is it's always it's crazy to me. It was insane. Just he looked like a, a completely different person. He was massive and then lost all that weight quickly. So for the sake of this football movie, I think he could get into football shape and that would that would sell. Um, you know who else would be good for this for Hartman? I think Chris Evans. I think he would work. He probably looks more like Sam Hartman when he lets the beard grow out a little bit. He doesn't have like the long hair that Sam Hartman has going right now. And some people are saying that Sam Hartman needs to cut his hair. I disagree, which isn't really a surprise because I have long hair, but let the flow grow, brother. Keep it going, Sam. I I like it maybe Chris Evans. If he grew his hair out a little bit, I could, uh, I could see that working for Sam Hartman. So there you go. I think my final say on this would be Michael B. Jordan and Chris Evans, two of maybe the most expensive actors there are right now. And that would be, that would be something for a Notre Dame football movie. All right. Last one here. D train 66. What's your favorite Notre Dame football related memory or tradition? I'll do memories first. Um, First ever Notre Dame game, it's got to be up there. I went to Notre Dame Navy in 2003. I was seven years old. Notre Dame beat Navy on a field goal in that one. So that's, you know, I'll never forget that day. Um, I was also in a big Ozzy Osbourne phase that time because I just listened to whatever my parents listened to. My dad liked Ozzy. And And one thing I remember about that game was the Notre Dame band played Crazy Train at halftime. So it was like that game was made for me. That was a great one. Um, another one that I remember when I was a kid, Notre Dame, UCLA, 2006, uh, that game winning touchdown by Samarja was awesome. I think I was 10 and my dad had to like lift me up above the people in front of us because I couldn't see once he caught the ball and he broke loose for a touchdown. Um, all the people in front of me obviously stood up. So my dad had to lift me up so I could see it. That was awesome. That was a really, really fun day. Um, and then I would say like watching the game at home. Notre Dame-Oklahoma 2012 was great, uh, especially because I was in high school at the time, and I skipped out on a party to stay home and watch that game. And at first, I was like, wait, am I going to regret this? And then Notre Dame won, and that was one of the biggest wins of my lifetime. So certainly do not regret that uh, decision. And then as a student, I got a few to choose from. Notre Dame-USC 2017 is the most fun I've ever had in Notre Dame Stadium. I've said that a lot in this podcast. Senior year, beating your rival, 49-14 in Notre Dame Stadium. Perfect day in South Bend. I don't know if anything is ever going to touch that. Stanford in 2014 was absolutely miserable up until the very end when uh, Everett Golson found Ben Koyak for a game-winning touchdown there. That was so bad because it was, like, in the 30s that day. It was, like, rain-slash-snow uh, all day, and I was not prepared because I don't think anyone was. It was. The temperatures were a lot lower than anything anyone had called for, so that sucked But till the end. And then Notre Dame-Texas 2015 was awesome. Season opener, beating a school like Texas. Um, That was great. And then more recently, I'm not going to lie, Notre Dame in Ireland is uh, one of my favorite Notre Dame football memories. That was unbelievable, my first trip to Ireland, and uh, it was just a a great weekend all around, and the game itself was certainly awesome considering Notre Dame just dominated from beginning to end. So those are a lot of games, I think. Um, There's just, you know, tailgating, stuff like that, seeing friends like that, that, that's always a great uh, memory and just all the fun times in the in the tailgate lot before the game. Not necessarily specific to one tailgate or one game or anything like that, but whenever I think about my times as a student, I always look back uh, on those times very fondly. Traditions, personally, I don't have any Notre Dame football traditions because Saturdays I usually have to work, and uh, I'm not always just – by myself watching games all day uh other than Miller Lights on game day which is a staple of course it was a staple of the Sons of Saturday podcast and we're trying to keep that legacy going basically you just drink Miller Lights on game day and Notre Dame doesn't lose it's a fact scientifically proven um there's never been anything to dispute that as for like Notre Dame football traditions um I like that they brought the walk back going from the Basilica to the stadium uh, I think that's real. that was really cool when I was a kid going to see that and uh I don't know, man. There's just so many traditions. I guess, you know what, I'll just say the alma mater at the end of the game when uh, all the students lock arms and sway to the side and listen to the alma mater and sing it out loud. Uh, that never gets old. But that is going to do it for this episode, and that's another week of lockdown Irish in the books. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. And for the everyday listeners, I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate the fact you tune in uh, as much as you do because I'm having a lot of fun doing this, and I'm very grateful uh, that you guys tune in and seem to enjoy it as well. But before you head out and get your weekend started, make sure you've subscribed to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast and follow the show on Twitter at LockdownIrish, on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod, and my personal Twitter account at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. Enjoy the game tomorrow. I'll be back on Monday to react to everything that goes down on Saturday, and then it will officially be Ohio State week. I can't wait. See you then.